Let's bow our heads together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, thank you for the way in which you choose to bless us. You bless us with the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You bless us with your presence through the Holy Spirit in our hearts every day. You bless us by your guidance, your encouragement, and your comfort. You bless us by your conviction when we've gone astray. You bless us by your love in drawing us to yourself. And so in this place this morning, we worship you and we adore you. I pray that in the face of whatever is and whatever may come, that we will persevere. That we will allow you through the Holy Spirit to do the work in our hearts and our lives that you desire to do. Make us complete in you. And then one day, we will rejoice when you call us into your presence. And there we will worship you forever. For today, speak to us, I pray, through your Holy Spirit, from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to James, the first chapter of James. And before... I begin the message this morning. I want just to remind you, church family, of the opportunity during these days to make a commitment to the hilltop, our move to the hilltop. Just a reminder of that. Many of you have already done that. Many of you are in the process. Pray earnestly about what God would have you to do and then make those commitments and get them in to the church. Someone asked me, why can't we just give and not make commitments? Yes, you can. However, it, I think, is good for all of us to make a commitment, but also just a fact of life is that lending institutions are going to look at what we pledged in consideration of loaning us money, and all the 30 to $32 million is not going to come in in the first year, so we're going to have to have interim financing. And so the lending institutions will look at that as an indication of our support and our desire and our ability, and so it makes it necessary, imperative for us to make those kinds of commitments. So I know you're praying. God bless you as you are obedient to the Holy Spirit and what he wants you to do. Now, we are in a series in James, and this is week three, and the series is entitled, as you can see from the front of your worship bulletin, A Faith That Works. Week one, joy when it's tough. Week two, wisdom 
what we desperately need. There are a lot of themes in James. You know, um, 59 imperatives in 108 verses. That's a lot of James telling us what to do, isn't it? And I think I told you that first week. If you don't like anybody telling you what to do, you probably need to take a few weeks vacation. Because James, one verse after another, is giving imperatives. And he does that again this morning. But another theme, of course, the theme is perseverance in the face of persecution. Wisdom is is a theme. And then today we see the title of the message, The Uplifting Paradox of Possessions. So I want us to look at verses 9 through 12, ask you one more time to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. James 1, verses 9 through 12, here's what he writes. The brother of Jesus, who was not a believer until after the resurrection. And he writes, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, before you sit back down, we could, I could just summarize this. You know, I, I tried to pull this off last week. I, I could just summarize this by saying to the poor believer, blessed are you if your faith is in Jesus. And to the believer who has a lot, blessed are you if you are not depending upon your wealth for a right relationship with God, but your relationship is with God through Jesus. And then blessed are you who persevere because you have in store for you the crown of life. Now, I could stop there and send us home, and some of you will say amen, but sit back down. We're not done yet. (laughs) A lot of directives in, in the epistle of James. He deals with many issues. If you just do a cursory reading of these four verses, it may seem as if these verses are detached from weeks one and two, but they aren't. If you look again at verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, stands up to the trial because having stood the test, come out on the other side, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life, which we'll talk about in a minute that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. So this message or this passage is attached, not detached, to the first eight verses of, of James. Remember, James is writing, as we put some perspective on this in 2019, James is writing to Jewish believers, Jewish Christians, who have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire primarily because of persecution. And he is writing to them and to us. And it's helpful for us to understand that the audience to whom he wrote were mostly poor people. Some were poor before they were scattered. Some were made poor by being persecuted and scattered. But primarily, largely, the early believers did not have much in the way of resources. They were persecuted and poor. 
There were some notable exceptions. And we read about a few of them in Scripture. The New Testament exceptions are notable and were a blessing to the early church. John Mark and and his family, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, Dorcas in Acts 9.36. It says specifically that she blessed the poor uh, in Joppa. Cornelius in Caesarea, Lydia and Thyatira, Crispins in Corinth, who was the synagogue leader and became a Christ follower, Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus, and, and there were others who helped in many ways sponsor the early Christian missionary movement as Paul and others went out into the world to preach the gospel. But mostly, the church was poor. Now for us... The poorest person in this room, whoever you may be, is rich by the world's standards. We, we've said that before, and it, it is true. You may not feel rich, but by the world's standards, you are. And if you travel to third world countries, you get it. I mean, you know that's, that's true. So I say that simply to caution us about categorizing ourselves too quickly. Let's just listen And let the Spirit speak through the Word to our hearts and apply it in whatever way He desires to do. So, paradox. The uplifting paradox of possessions. Now, you know this, but I need to hear it. A paradox is a statement that is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense, yet is true. Like, the weak are strong... The slave is free, death brings life, giving is receiving, down is up and up is down. Paradox makes us think. And so this morning I want us to think about three major ideas from this text that we read. And the first is this, the poor are rich. The poor are rich. Look at verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances, ought to take pride in their high position. The low are high. If you translated this literally, you would say the lowly brother ought to boast in his height. The lowly brother ought to boast in his height. The poor, low in the eyes of the world, often low in their own eyes, think of it, think of Lowliness of mind tied to poverty and persecution and the questions that almost automatically follow about purpose and worth. But James reverses the situation. James says, boast in your position in Christ, believer, because you are God's child. Now, here is how Paul elaborates on that in a couple of verses. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Now, Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He is addressing that to all of those early believers, consequently to us also, but all of those early believers, the big majority of whom are very, very poor. And yet, he says these wonderful things and says to them, hang on to the reality of your true position. Your true position isn't what you think it is. It isn't one of poverty and want and lack of material possessions. Your true position is you're a child of God. And he's reminding those early believers, most of whom were poor, of their true position in Jesus. So a a, a mighty reversal is coming. James encourages the poor, the, the lowly believer, to rejoice in the certainty of this reversal. Everything will not continue as it is today. We often think that, don't we? we we're limited by what we see. But remember, everything's not going to continue the way it is now. There's a big change coming. Jesus is coming again. And we're reminded in Romans 5... Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Stand in the face of whatever is coming. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So Paul says, boast. In your position, boast in who you are, boast in who, to whom you belong, early believer, Christian, poor, though you may be. I read a story about a chaplain and a general who were seated next to each other at a banquet at the head table. The chaplain was going to pray and the general was going to speak. And it was a little awkward for the general and probably for the chaplain too, a little awkward for the general because he was not a man of faith and he wondered what he should say to the chaplain. And so he tried to make some small talk. And finally, the general said, chaplain, tell me something about heaven. Now, the chaplain felt it was wise for him in thinking of the reputation of the general. It was wise for him not to reply, well, sir, you're not going to be there. Um, so he, he thought for just a moment and he said sir the first thing i can tell you is that in heaven you will not be a general there is a reversal that is coming understand poor believer impoverished believer seemingly deprived believer don't put your faith in what you don't have keep your eyes on Jesus and rejoice in your position in him for the lowly his poverty may have produced in him a lowliness of spirit that makes him open to God in fact in one of the verses I read a moment ago from the sermon on the mount blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven there is wisdom For Christians, wisdom, remember last week, there is wisdom for Christians 
in a world that equates prosperity with happiness and God's blessing and humble circumstances with misery and God's displeasure. The lowly are tempted to doubt. But James stands this thinking on its head and shouts that Christians are the rich poor, the high low, and the lowly brother should boast in his exaltation. And we need to hear that. And remember, it is the heart and the spiritual that matters. And so from that, take heart regardless of your position. So somebody here today has very little money and it distresses you. Maybe you never graduated from high school. You don't have a diploma like most of the people in the room. Maybe you have no college and maybe you have a pretty low paying job. And sometimes it's hard to make ends meet and you're frustrated and it may affect you deeply. James' word to you, my word to you today is take heart and rejoice in who you are in Jesus. Now, there's a second thing that we want to notice, and that is the rich are poor. Look at verse, this is the other paradox, the rich are poor. Look at verse 10. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. That's paradox number two. Those who see themselves as overprivileged are really underprivileged spiritually. Mark chapter 10, our Lord uh, is speaking and amazes his disciples with these words. Jesus looked around and said to to the disciples just after the rich man walked away from Jesus. Jesus said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Why? We're all saved the same way. No matter how much you have or don't have, we're all saved the same way. Why is it hard? It is hard because it is often difficult for the rich to realize they have a need and to be willing to humble themselves before God. And so James addresses this issue and reminds us that it is impossible for one who trusts in riches to get into heaven. It takes helpless dependence to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Material wealth leaves the possessor to focus his or her attention on possessions if they're not careful. Jesus called it the deceitfulness of riches. If you're not careful, the greater your possessions, the greater the likelihood of delusion. What we possess, however, James tells us, isn't eternal. So we do not, do not place our trust in things that are not eternal. And James is saying to those who have possessions, Do not place your trust 
in what you have. It is fleeting. It will not last. It is like the flowers of the desert. They blossom and they look beautiful. Then the wind comes and the sun comes and they wither and dry up. Our possessions are not forever. So the rich, which would include almost every person in this room, all of us by world standards, the rich have a decision to make. The rich believer to bless the kingdom of God, to bless the church through generosity or to place our primary focus on the material. That's our choice. In verses 10 and 11, James says riches are like wildflowers. They're fleeting. They fade away. So to those who have much, take pride in your humiliation. Take pride in seeing Christ, life, and your possessions accurately cultivate a heart of humility and gratitude and boast in that. Boast in that. It is a delusion to suppose that once we become Christians, we are to outgrow the poverty of spirit that required us, was required of us to be saved to begin with. James illustrates by flowers and grass, most common part of creation. Life is fleeting, isn't it? John Wesley said, I am a creature of a day passing through life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit coming from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. A few months hence, I am no more seen. I drop Into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing. The way to heaven. John Wesley. Now. Let's talk about the crown of life and we're done. Look again at verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. We'll hear it again. We've already heard it. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The word crown is Stephanos, the Greek word. We get our English name Stephen or Stephan from that Greek word. It means literally a reward for faithfulness. The first word of the verse, blessed, is makarios. Makarios is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the stephanos, the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let's finish by thinking about the crown of life. First of all, there is blessing in persevering. There is blessing in in persevering persevere already Christians the recipients of this letter the majority of us in this room already Christians we understand that the crown of life is not eternal life because the readers of the epistle already have that they're already saved they already have eternal life So what he is talking about here is an extraordinary blessing in eternity to the one who perseveres. Now, 
you are blessed by the knowledge of its coming and you're strengthened by its certainty and you're strengthened according again to verses three and four. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So see how it all wedges together. We sometimes think all those imperatives, he must be dealing with 59 different subjects. No, he's not. It all ties together. Blessing is persevering. The the, the second, there's blessing in persevering. The second thing I want us to notice about this crown of life is this. There is standing in testing. There is standing in testing. James says, you've been proven. You have proven the value of your faith because you have stood firm in the face of circumstances, persecution, whatever it may be. You have not been beaten into submission by your circumstances. It's a picture of a, of a strong man standing firm, though he is being beaten, he stands firm and he does not go into submission because of his circumstances. You are standing in testing. Now, there's a third thing I want us to know is about this crown of life. There is receiving what is eternal. Receiving what is eternal. The crown of life. Understand this crown is not made of metal. It's not made of laurel leaves. But it's something spiritual. It's something eternal. It is a quality of life now that Jesus speaks of in John 10, 10, when he said, I'm coming that you might have life and that you might have it to the full or you might have it more abundantly. And it's also something currently unimaginable that waits for us in heaven. And so receiving what is eternal. Lastly, there is loving God as a requirement. Loving God as a requirement. Stand firm. Prove your faith. It's real. Stand firm and love God. And the crown of life awaits you. Loving God is a requirement. A condition of perseverance. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and body. And blessed are you. If you really love God. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts today about persevering in the trial. About standing firm. About focusing on you and the eternal and on our our standing and who we are. And if we have little, we understand that we are still heirs of God. We are still children of the King. And in that we boast. And Father, we've learned again that if we have much, our hope is not in that which we have, but our hope is in you 
And in that we rejoice. And we've been reminded to persevere. And there awaits for us the crown of life. Thank you. Now, Father, in this room, there may be one, two, three, four, more than that, who do not yet know you personally through your son, Jesus. Draw them to yourself irresistibly this day. In Jesus' name I pray. To give your heart to Jesus, when we stand in a moment and sing, will you come, place your hand in mine, and say very simply, Pastor, I need Jesus, and a member of our staff will be here to pray with you, to open God's word, to share with you, you can enter into a personal saving relationship with Jesus this day. So as God speaks to your heart, will you come as we stand and sing?